Welcome to the Scriptures for America Worldwide Broadcasting Network. This is part three in the series we've entitled Baptism. In part one, we took a look at the command laid down by our Lord Jesus Christ and certainly his example. In part two, we took a look at the scope of the command and its form. We took a little bit of a time as we closed out that message to to look briefly into the objections that often accompany a discussion about baptism. In this part three of the series, I think we'll try to expand on that and look into what we should probably acknowledge, what I will call the Denier's Creed and the Justifier's Creed. So we'll subtitle this message, The Denier and Justifier's Creed. It appears necessary that one recognize why the deniers deny, or perhaps the conclusions which are used to deny the ordinance of baptism. One that we know is used conveniently, obviously, is the words of the Apostle Paul himself, found at 1 Corinthians 1.17, and I quote, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. End quote. Whoa! Well, that ought to pretty well take care of it, don't you think? Well, not so fast. As students of the Institute for the Advanced Studies of the God of All Creation, we'll call that the ISGC Institute. I'll try that one on to you for size. Anyhow, we need to know what the context is as a student. And the context is found at verse 10 through 14. Quote, now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, in the same judgment. Verse 11. For it has been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you say, I am of Paul, I of Apollos, I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God I baptized none of you, but Crispus and Gaius. We'll stop there for now. What Paul is saying here, that it would be better that no one baptized or is baptized, if the effect is or is to become a carnal doing or work, and therefore the glory be granted to men for having done so. He says at verse 15, quote, Lest any should say that I had baptized in my own name. End quote. So the denier's creed is one which holds Paul's words up in this example and says preaching the word is more important than baptizing. Well, you and I both know that those who would claim this, more likely often than not, are not really preaching the whole word anyway. Otherwise, they would have to be preaching about baptism for the remission of sins. Now what is not seen or understood is not only did Paul baptize, he did not do so by presumption. He did so by commission. In other words, it's done by virtue of the office of preaching or teaching that you take the next step and baptize. Philip was chosen as essentially a deacon 
and he baptized the eunuch. He that is called needs no additional call to baptize. It's part of his commission as a believer confessing Jesus Christ as the Son of God and having confessed his sins. This one goes and does likewise for others. Another consideration in the denier's creed is an objection to having baptized 3,000 in one day. It's presumed that these were baptized by 12 apostles, but that disregards the obvious understanding from Scripture that Jesus had, quote, made more disciples than John, end quote, John 4.1. It really is convoluted to assume that these 70 of Luke 10, 1 and 17 were not there participating in teaching and baptizing. Well, this certainly makes at least 82, which is 36 and a half individuals per man. At six per hour, that's doable in about six hours. Now, suppose the deniers say that the seed was under covenant prior, but not so now. Well, what can they do with Galatians 3.16, which reminds us that, quote, To Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He says, not to seeds as to many, but as to one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. End quote. And what about Romans 9.8? The children of promise are counted for the seed. Pastor certainly made a point of reminding us that we're always required to harmonize the scriptures, not isolate them so as to make them of no effect, pitting one scripture against another. Additionally, John the Baptist at Matthew 3.9-10 warns both of those of Abraham and believers to quote, think not to say you have Abraham for your father end quote. and he continues at 10 to say now the axe is laid to the root of the tree every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire end quote. again both Abraham and John the Baptist rely on the word of God but the deniers have nothing the deniers creed might say baptism is only an act similar to circumcision, but they can point to no scripture which says so. Also, circumcision was applied to male members of the household under that covenant, but in scripture we see that Lydia was a woman, and we find at Acts 8.12 when they believed they were baptized, both men and women. So it really bears no simil- similarity at all, and and. It surely cannot now be disregarded as circumcision is. Speaking of one's household. Now speaking of one's household, sometimes the deniers point to the days of Christ and the apostles and boast, well, there were heathens in the land and idol worshippers and false gods and baptism was a work performed that they might put away or bury their heathen ways through this ritual. Well, besides there being no scriptural support, they have to neglect Christ, was most certainly not a heathen. Acts 10.2 says, Cornelius was a man, one that feared God and all his house, and prayed to God always, whose prayers and alms came up for a memorial before God. But he too was baptized, as Peter asked, Who can forbid water that these, that would be Cornelius' house, should not be baptized? 
Now let's take a few minutes and look at the justifiers. What do you mean, Doug? Justified by baptism? No, I mean that justify baptisms administered to infants or their own personal infant baptism is sufficient. The justifiers have their creed and they point to Cornelius's house, Lydia's house, the jailer's house, and I emphasize house. And they say that these scriptures imply that children were baptized. But none of the scriptures where these households are recorded as having been baptized say infants or children are being alluded to. You want to know why? Well, how about Ephesians 2, 3? And I quote, We are the children of wrath by nature. End quote. Now, if one is honest with the scriptures, the word house often is referred to male heads of a household, or those of age, or those who would be commanded to serve in a military campaign. Clearly, one's household will be those of age or accountable enough to understand that which was being taught them or commanded of them. A household often comprised quite extensive near kinsmen, such as aunts, uncles, mothers, fathers, grandparents, sisters, brothers, great aunts, uncles, etc., but not usually implying children. So let's expand our thoughts regarding this consideration that justifiers point to justify child or infant baptism. First we have the record of the early churches and the apostles' acts. Paul converted after the ascension of Christ and there is no record of infant or child baptisms in the 14 years that he was in Christ. Well, wait a minute, brother, says some. Christ said, Suffer the children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Mark 10.14 Well, Christ did say this, but he did not say, Let them come that we might baptize them. But at Mark 10.16, we do ascertain why he wanted them to come unto, them, unto him. It says that he put his hands upon them and bless them. Now, I think this again points to our example as believers. We are to pray for and bless the children round about us to follow in our example. Well, so say the justifiers. Acts 2.29 says the promise is to you and your children. Brother, <laughs> well, this, you know, presumes first a baptized believer is denying baptism to children of the believer as they are covered by promise. But the promise, according to the rest of the scripture, says, quote, is to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call, end quote. So are we to assume that the call excludes the children and refers to those afar off only? But actually it does refer to the children. As we've referred to in this baptism series already, we would go to Joel 2.28, which says, quote, He will pour out his spirit on your sons and daughters, verse 32, and on the remnant who the Lord shall call. So, how can one say called or to call does not apply also to the children? Well, are the children therefore called because the parents are? How can this be? 
our lives don't bear this out. Many of us know believing baptized parents who have children who do not bear this spiritual call or this spiritual unity out. So then they'll quickly retort, well, come on now, brother. There's a lot of pastors and learned men who baptize infants and children. So are you saying that they're all wrong? Well, we've already covered the learned Pharisees and lawyers of the era. How they had rejected the counsel against themselves. We found that at Luke 7, 29-30. So the question becomes, should we follow a multitude to do evil, contrary to the command of Exodus 23, 2? The justifier's creed will surely cry out, but what's the harm? The Bible doesn't say one shouldn't baptize children or infants. But of course, this retort only intends to mask the fact that we've already covered a multitude of biblical examples of the baptized clearly having the ability to be taught prior to the baptisms. I think I'll take a minute. I've got a couple of dozen comparisons that would do well to take a look at. When you look at a believer's baptism versus an infant or a child baptism, there are several very distinct contrasts. First of all, in the believer's baptism, there is a command at Matthew 28, 19-20. For an infant or a child baptism, there is no command. There are many examples of baptisms but there are no examples for infant or child baptisms for a believer's baptism it's from heaven according to Matthew 21:25 but for an infant or a child baptism it must be of men when we look at Luke 7:29 we see that it is the counsel of God but infant and child baptisms must be of the counsel of men we see that the glory of God's seal is upon the believer in baptism Matthew 3 12 to 20 but there is no seal of God on an infant or child baptism but we can find no seal of God upon a child or infant baptism as a believer the person being baptized acts on faith Certainly in the case of an infant, we can see that the infant can show no faith. Those baptized persons now know of their baptism. They have a remembrance of their baptism, but infants cannot know, nor have any memory or recollection. A believer is buried with Christ in his baptism, so says Romans 6.4, but an infant or a child is not buried with Christ. Scripture says a baptized believer have their sins remitted, Acts 2, 37-8, but the infant cannot have any sins remitted. We are told that there is a promise of salvation to the baptized believer. God made no such promise in the case of an infant. When a believer is baptized, we learn that there is rejoicing, Acts 8, 39 and 16:34. Generally, an infant cries. A baptized believer does so by the word of God, Matthew 28:18-19. But for an infant or a child, there is none, human only. A baptized believer lawfully partakes of the Lord's Supper. An infant not only does not partake, but if so, would certainly do so unlawfully. 
The scripture says that the believe, baptized believer are living stones fit for the household of God, 1 Peter 2.5. I see no way in which the infant can be. A baptized believer, by their faith, perish not, John 10.28. Obviously, the infant child, not with faith, may perish. A baptized believer is converted, and there is no condemnation, says John 5.24. An infant child cannot be converted and certainly could come into damnation. The scripture also says that the baptized believer is not the children of wrath. John 3.36 yet, yet an infant may yet come under wrath. The scripture tells us that the baptized believer has clothed themselves with Christ. However, that infant child is obviously yet naked, not covered baptized believer knows the preciousness of Christ 1 Peter 2.7 an infant cannot know of the preciousness of Christ a baptized believer loves Christ and keeps his commandments John 14.15 an infant child cannot love Christ and be obedient to his commands the baptized believer is said to worship Christ in truth and in spirit John 4.23-4 The infant child obviously has no knowledge of how and why to worship. A baptized believer can repel Satan with the word. A justifier of infant baptism has no word to be able to repel Satan with. The scripture says the believer's baptism stands as long as the world. Matthew 5.18 As for the infant, how could it, according to the word of God? Now these references to the infant are not to say that, that the infant child has no cover. By the grace of God, God has instituted an age of accountability, an age by which it appears in his infinite mercy he will forgive the wayward child's ways. I think this is no different than any parent-child relationship is. Now, by way of conclusion, the Justifier's Creed and the Denier's Creed have one thing in common. Suppose believers in Christ, they claim, but they are ashamed of the things of God. God instructed the prophet Ezekiel to show those ashamed the order and the form of the house of God. Well, I guess probably what we ought to do is just go there and read that. I did not put that scripture in my notes. Give me just a moment here, and I will go to Ezekiel. And here we are at uh, 43, verses 10 through 12. Quote, Thou son of man, show the house to the house of Israel, that they may be ashamed of their iniquities, and let them measure the pattern. And if they be ashamed of all that they have done, show them the form of the house, and the fashion thereof, and the goings out thereof, and the comings ins thereof, and all the forms thereof, and all the ordinances thereof, and all the forms thereof, and all the laws thereof, and write it in their sight, that they may keep the whole form thereof, and all the ordinances thereof, and do them. This is the law of the house upon the top of the mountain, the whole limit thereof round about shall be most holy. Behold, this is the law of the house. End quote. Ezekiel 43, 10 to 12. 
The baptized believing Christian is now a vessel being readied for that new heart and that new soul which is designed, structured, suited or fashioned for the ordinances of God. Let's again look at Ezekiel 11, 19-20. Quote, I will give them one heart and will put a new spirit within you and I will take the stony heart out of their flesh and will give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them. They will be my people and I will be their God. End quote. So you see, ladies and gentlemen, to resist an ordinance of God is a very dangerous occupation of mind. Those holding to the denier and the justifier's creeds concerning baptism are playing with unfamiliar fire, accepting that which the Lord commanded not. This fire will burn, just as it did Nadab and Abihu. Romans 13.2 says, quote, Whosoever therefore resists the power, resists the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. End quote. Isaiah 25, excuse me, correction, Isaiah 24.1, we are advised, quote, The Lord makes the earth empty and turns it upside down. End quote. Ask yourself why. Do you have the answer? Just drop down to verse 5. The earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof, because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinances, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore has the curse devoured the earth, and they that dwell therein are desolate. End quote. The question really remains, will you call that which was done to you in infancy, which conveyed not your obedience, your consent, or left any indelible mark upon your consciousness, a baptism, or a great hoax, designed to keep you from the remission of sins? If God clearly required circumcision of infants, would he not have required the baptism of infants equally as clearly? 1 Corinthians 11.2 tells us that God is the head of Christ, Christ the head of the man, and the man the head of the woman. You see, God delivers the ordinance, and it is to be carried out as it is ordered in the command, according to the form and the pattern. Should the denier deny the ordinance to his children, let the child be fully persuaded through proper teaching during his attained years of accountability that he or she may act in obedience to the command. Would the denier and the justifier finally say, if indeed my salvation hangs on this, would that salvation more likely be bequeathed upon a contrite believer or upon an infant? Would the denier and the justifier recognize an unbelieving infant presented for baptism remains disputed? But a believer who confesses Jesus Christ is the Son of God and receives his or her baptism for the remission of sins creates no biblical disputation? Will the deniers and the justifiers come 
to a love of the truth and acknowledge we are not to add to the word nor think of any man above what is written so says 1 Corinthians 4 6 how then is infant baptism to be regarded as not added to the word or that ostensibly wise men have commissioned it as a fulfillment of the ordinance would the deniers and justifiers accept would the deniers and justifiers accept that the scripture sets forth a complete and visible record in the baptism of Lydia Lydia is the subject her faith or religious status is recognized as being a worshiper of God in other words his sheep her occupation it lays out as a seller of purple her GPS coordinate is the city of Thyatira her actionable circumstance she heard the word of God spoke by the instrument Paul and then you see God's work by the Holy Spirit the Lord opened her heart so much detail ladies and gentlemen but no mention of the heart rendering of the youthful children or infants are anywhere to be found is the denier and the justifier prepared to answer and accept the consequences when asked the words recorded in Isaiah 1:12 quote who has required these things at your hands it is with fond remembrance of pastor peters that i remain thankful for the opportunity to minister unto the children of the new covenant as hebrews 8:8 informed us of this is Doug Nelson, trusting you will hear these words one day. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. It's the God of love who truly rules, created love and genius too. Sacrifice, just an act of love by our Creator coming down from above. But it's no sacrifice, we hear Him call, no sacrifice. Sacrifice as an act of love 
to our Creator who came from above. But it's no sacrifice we hear Him call. No sacrifice at all. That it's no sacrifice just an act of love by our Creator coming down from above.